This is Seth Essenson with North Dakota Farm Bureau, and this is our effort to keep our members and prospective members and anybody who would like to join us for Straight Talk Podcast. We're not looking for any controversy or anything like that. This is the first episode that we're doing. I'm joined by two amazing co-workers of mine and Director of Public Policy, Mr. Pete Hanabit and Legislative Liaison. Did I get that right? Mrs. Emery Melhoff, we need to get back to a place here in not only just in North Dakota or in, in the city of Bismarck, but um, in uh, in the U.S. in general, um, where we can just have a conversation and respect each other's opinion. And ultimately, I think that that's the, the ultimate goal of Straight Talk is to talk through some of those issues, not necessarily try to steer you in, in one direction or the other. Um, we're certainly going to let you know where we're at as an organization with NDFB. There's some changes to the ways that, that we're doing things this year, um, in the legislature. And so if you guys could just, uh, just give me, uh, give me an update on, on what the changes, um, you know, within the state house, um, look like, um, how you think it'll affect individuals potentially that are interested in, um, maybe, uh, bringing forth their their side of the equation, uh, bringing forth their issue. Well, I'll give you the thirty thousand foot view of how the session's going, and then I'll let uh, Emery go into some more of the details since uh, she's more detail oriented than than I am. Uh, I would say, in general, we really are fortunate that the legislature uh, and the leaders have gone out of their way to make things as accessible as possible to all the citizens. Uh, as far as uh, testimony uh, electronically and being able to zoom into meetings to give testimony from afar and all those things, that's all been made available and maybe will increase public input in the whole process. Uh, I, I have to say, though, I've been in on several committee hearings so far, and I've heard one person testify electronically and uh, the other committee hearings had had no one testifying electronically. So whether people are up to speed with it or whether people are just choosing to stay out of it, uh, it hasn't happened at a huge rate yet. It could as people catch on. Uh, but uh, having said that, uh, committee hearings are starting. They're moving along with a lot of prefunctory things that are just going to happen in the normal early part of the session. Uh, we haven't had anything of any controversy yet, and most of them have been technical correction type bills, and that's okay. Uh, the first part of the session is often bills where uh, an agency finds that, that uh, a word was written wrong in the code or they have to change the code to fit the way rules have changed at the federal level. And so there's a lot of technical correction bills that just fly through in the first week, and they're going to get those out of the way. Some bills that came out of summer study committee that – or interim study committees that don't have any controversy will sail through here in the first two weeks. Uh, by the time we get into next week, though, we'll probably get into some bills that maybe uh, will have two sides to them and have, therefore, some controversy, not major controversy. Uh, and then uh, when we'll really get into the serious parts of the legislative session is when we start seeing the details of various budget programs and, and how those things will all be shaking out. But uh, Emory probably has some more details on some of the things coming up for us that we'll be keeping an eye on. Yeah, well, as Pete mentioned, the session started on Tuesday. And if you go into the Capitol, the first thing you got to do is you put your hand right next to the little scanner thing and it scans your wrist about an inch away and tells you your temperature. And then you answer a series of questions and then you can 
walk on into the Capitol. But um, Tuesday was an exciting day because we heard from, um, we had three states of, of the state. So we had the state of the tribes was first, and then um, the state of the judiciary, and then the state of the state, uh, which is where the governor shares kind of an over, it's kind of like the state of the union. So he shares like the overlook of the year before, and then his vision for the year to come. And one of the things that he really focused on in his vision of the year to come um, was bonding. And basically the idea that um, political subdivision can bond for various infrastructure improvements. And so that that's going to be like a constant conversation. Um, and then, as Pete mentioned, there was a lot of different pre-filed bills by agencies or committees. So for meat and for dairy, they have to update the code every year to be in compliance with, with federal regulations so that we can, sell, we can sell our milk and our meat um, across state lines. Um, so that happened. And um, there was also a bill that wasn't from an interim committee or a um, state agency that Pete actually had the opportunity to testify positively on, and that was um, Senate Bill 2041. That was sponsored by um, Senator Yana Myrdal from up, up kind of close to where you are, Seth, a little bit farther north. Yep, absolutely. I believe they're they're residents of uh, Pembina County and Legislative District Number Ten. I believe. Yep. 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 10, yeah. Yep. Edinburgh. I think she's from. So anyway, um, so basically, this actually falls in line perfectly with a resolution brought by District 1 um, during our state annual meeting. And um, it basically provides a commercial property tax exemption for grain elevators and potato warehouses. Most farmers' warehouses actually fall under this exemption already. So like mine and my dad's elevator out in, out in Spearwood already falls under this egg, egg exemption. We don't have to pay commercial tax on, on this. But what has happened with some potato warehouses, because potatoes involve a little bit more processing, like you have to you have to wash them and then you apply like a chemical application to keep them from sprouting. And then you store them in a warehouse. Sometimes um, counties can uh, consider this to be commercial property because they see it as a, as a processing facility. And, and so this, this legislation is great and we're really excited about it. Um, and then there's a couple other things. The grain licensing program has shifted from the PSC so the Public Service Commission over to the Egg Commissioner. And in that process, the Egg Commissioners found various holes or or things that he would like to change in the in the licensing process. So um, so we heard that bill. And then um, there's also a study on road trains going on that we were able to, to chime in on and, and say that any creative attempts to continue to bring our egg products to the market we're in favor of. So got just a couple questions for you guys. Um, so you spoke on, on Senator Meerdahl's introduced bill 2041. I believe that you said it was having to do with agricultural storage being taxed as, uh, and when we say tax, we're referring to property tax, correct? Yep. Thank you. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, for those of you that may not be aware, for as long as I can remember here in the state of North Dakota, if you are a farmer and or rancher, your your property is is exempt through what is known commonly, I believe, as the farm slash home exemption. Is that correct? Um, farm, farmers and ranchers um, do not pay property tax in 
in their farmyards and specifically continue to pay property tax on on every inch of productive soil uh whether or on productive soil for that matter whether it be for the direct production of commodities or in the instance of Emery and Caleb and their cattle, um, the, the production of grass um, for the production of beef cattle. So they do pay, in fact, pay property taxes, but you know, for, for grain storage, ultimately, they, they do not. The issue being here, specifically in Pemina County, that um, they are assessing that property, be, being that it is off-farm. Is that... Is that correct? I think that's the gist of it. And and it, the challenge that, that we've seen in the northeastern corner of the state is that assessments in those three counties that are involved in District 10 have been different. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that it has not been equitable has been a bit of a challenge. And uh, this policy that is in our book is reflected almost a, a complete mirror of what the bill that uh, the senator brought up, uh, it looks just like our policy uh, in that, uh, you know, our policy says that if, if it's used in, a, in the production of farming and storage just as if it was on the farm, it should be taxed just as if it's on the farm. You shouldn't uh, stop granting that, uh, that tax break just because uh, the farmyard itself is not all-inclusive in all the buildings. And, and so, you know, uh, we don't think it's too much controversy, but we know that the cities and the counties uh, and their associations will have some challenges with this because there is the opportunity to game the system. Uh, I don't think very many farmers are gaming the system, but I do think there is uh, not very much equity in the way things have been assessed. Some towns or some cities or some uh, counties may want to assess things differently than what uh, we would interpret the code to say, and others may get it exactly right. Uh, so if you're storing a commodity that is certainly a perishable like a potato, um, then you know we think it ought to, just because the facility happens to be located where maybe the town is out, has grown out past it in the last 20 or 30 years, it should still have uh, the same kind of exemption as regular arm, on-farm ex- uh, storage. And I think what some folks that aren't in the ag community don't realize is uh, this is kind of the trade-off. These these breaks that we get as farmers is kind of a trade-off to make up for a lot of things that we are paying for. For example, we're paying taxes to the center of the road. We sure aren't farming the ditches and we sure aren't farming that side of the road <laughs> that's next to our ditch. And so we're paying for all of that kind of stuff but pay, to pay for goods and services that we do not necessarily get to take advantage of. Where a person in town is paying for their little lot and they're getting the goods and services, including the schools and the ambulance and the fire, that everybody else is paying the bill for by and large. It doesn't mean that city folks aren't paying some taxes on their property, but they also have an escrow account that's set up through their lender where they never see the taxes they're paying. And our members get to see that bill quite often. And so, you know, some of the breaks that we get are not such a break. It's just a little bit of a pat on the head to our members uh, for the taxes that we're paying where we have absolutely no opportunity to raise generate income from that land that we're paying for. If we're paying all the way to the center of the road, we're not able to generate any income to pay for that tax uh, from the center of the road all the way over to our fence line or the ditch or up into the field. And so this is a little bit of a trade-off. Uh, so there's my, there's my uh, 
soapbox <laughs> statement on property taxes. No, that, and, that, and that, I don't want to sound too yeah. preachy, but but I'm going to say it in a preachy preach way. Preach on. You guys have been a huge resource to me as as a field representative. Great listeners, both of you, very informed on how the legislative process works. And one of the biggest uh, resources that, that North Dakota Farm Bureau um, has to offer and maybe not realized oftentimes until the issue arises um, in the event that, that that issue and when that issue does arise, right? How do our members get a hold of you guys? I, I'm not going to speak for Pete over here. He, I think he likes smoke signals personally. <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> um, uh, but you can shoot me an email at emery, so E-M-M-E-R-Y at ndfb.org. Um, or you can call our office here and um, talk to one of the gals at the front and, and they'll uh, get you in touch with us. My email is pretty simple. It's pete at ndfb.org, or you can always uh, call or text us at any time. And uh, folks can engage however they want to uh, through NDFB and being involved uh, at, in the legislative process, however you see fit. And if you need to know specifics about bills, you can track us down. Uh, through the Bismarck office or uh, at our emails, and we will try to be as responsive as, as possible. Thank you, guys. Uh, I think just to wrap things up, um, one of the last thoughts that I had, Pete, as somebody who's uh, had legislative experience in um, a few different states and have, have lived in them as well, I was totally blind to the fact that ultimately North Dakota's legislative process, their legislative session, and the fact that they have truly what I would consider to be a citizen legislature is over the over the course of this this great American experiment has has become more and more exceedingly rare. Just just interested to hear your comments on that. Yeah, we really are blessed here, and I will say that uh, you know most legislatures used to be truly a citizen led legislature that was part time in in every way, and unfortunately uh, over the years most states have gone away from that. And uh, the citizens are less and less engaged in how their legislature works because uh, when you become a full-time legislature, uh, the, the folks who are running the local business, teaching in schools, farming, doing whatever businesses our legislators do, uh, those folks don't have the availability to be a part of the legislature. And so it becomes people who are, quote unquote, professional legislators. And I got to tell you, as a North Dakotan, I'm so proud that with the budget that we have and the, num- the amount of money that is spent per capita, uh, per citizen in this state, uh, that we can do it in a truly part-time way. And when you look at another example on the other end of the country, Vermont or New Hampshire, one of those small states where in the New England area where you know we have state Senate districts bigger than some of the states out east. And um, they have a almost full-time legislature that meets almost that meets every year, uh, almost full-time with more legislators than we have. I don't know how they justify their existence when you compare how frugal and how efficient our legislature is. And uh, we have a much better situation in North Dakota, and we should be proud of it and keep our legislature truly biennial. Any any other thoughts, Emery? I think sometimes, particularly people of of my generation, of our generation, um, the millennial and then and then the one below us, feel like the legislative process or or the government in general is so inaccessible, and um, it's easy to feel that way uh, when you go on to you know various social media platforms and see um, 
just, you know, what's happening on the national front and um, feel like there's really no way to affect that at all. North Dakota is truly unique. And the opportunity to chime in and have your voice heard is pretty amazing. Seeing the power of a testimony from a young person that comes in with experience um, into our capital, um, the, the legislature's listen, you know, and it, it's really awesome to see that. And they like to build those relationships. And, and so um, I think that there's ways that that can be taken advantage of whether, whether there's an issue that is important to our listeners, or um, whether they're just interested in building relationships to foster future opportunities. I think, I think this legislative session has some unique ways of doing that, whether there's an opportunity to come down to the Capitol um, or even uh, access a hearing online and um, be able to to chime in on that. Or um, I just think that there's some really awesome opportunities. Uh, I'm I'm so glad that that I got to to do this first uh, this first episode with you guys. Um, just say enough about uh, how much. I respect Emery and, and Pete's ability to really look at these issues um, on behalf of our members. The, the principles that have been um, brought forth at the grassroots level of North Dakota Farm Bureau and how um, it seems to be so seamless uh, with, with both of you individuals as well as far as how um, how those, those principles uh, really mesh up with the organization as a whole. I could spend an hour with uh, with Mr. Pete Hannabit and uh, Mrs. Emery Melhoff and their families for that matter and know that there is still hope and uh, we are in good hands. So thank you guys. <laughs>